It is a little bit awkward because I've heard all this talk about spiritual warfare and freedom and actually prepared on fasting. So, sorry, Adam, we'll see how we go. I'm just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> I am talking about spiritual warfare and freedom this morning, but I just wanted to honor the Lord and what he did this morning. I really felt we could have just kept on going, worshiping all day, and God would have achieved his purpose. But I do believe there are some foundations he wants to bring and build into us so we can stay free and get free and keep our freedom. And so I actually just wanted to pray into that. Just thank you, Lord, for just the worship time. Thank you for stealing most of my sermon into that time of worship, God. But thank you for confirming what you do want to do, Lord. And thank you for each person who stepped forward in boldness and obedience. I pray for such a freedom for those people and for all of us as we hear from your word this morning, God. In your name, amen. So I wasn't going to share this, but it feels just in the spirit God's going to do some different things. So if I jump around on my notes, please have grace. But on the way here, Kina said to me, do you know where the venue is? And I said, kind of. And said, do you have the address? And I said, no. But I know where the church spire is. If I can get close enough, I can see where the top of the church is. And needless to say, as we came down, I just saw it standing above all of the other buildings. And I had a sense of that's where we belong. That's where we're going this morning. And I feel for you guys as Brooklyn that you are head and shoulders above the rest spiritually that as you point towards Jesus and point towards what God is doing, people will identify this in this area, and they're going to identify you as the place to come and the place to meet Jesus. And that was one of the things. The other things I felt was during, worship, during the prayer meeting, I heard this bell going. I don't know if you heard it, like a, a bell ringing, calling, calling people to church or wherever it is. And I just had the sense of God preparing a feast for us and this bell going out. And he's saying, this is a place where my love is. And the love that you have for each other is a fragrance that's almost like a Sunday roast. You know, on like a Sunday when you're getting, your parents get ready and they've got this food ready and you have the smell and you come down to eat the food and the meal. There's this fragrance that draws you to this meal. And I wanted to say one thing on that. People don't go, as kids, we don't go to our parents' Sunday roast, for example, because we are obligated to be there. We go there because we're hungry and because we have a desire to be there, and because we're part of family, and because we feel loved. And I feel that people coming into your congregation are going to be hungry for more of God, and they're hungry for the love that you can give them. And so I want to keep encouraging you, keep loving each other, love all of those that are coming. There's going to be such a fragrance that draws people from the neighborhood into you. So this morning, in talking about freedom, there's an aspect of it that we sometimes fear. Do we want to be free? What's this going to cost me? And I want to say that God's freedom doesn't come through hectic words or through um, like structures. It comes through God's love. And God gave me a picture for this a while ago. We've got this um, freestanding fridge with a freezer at the bottom. And I'd kind of left it for quite a while. And it started to freeze up. And it froze up to the point where at the bottom, it was almost all ice. We were basically freezing ice. You couldn't even fit like a pizza box in there. And so I looked at this and I thought, I've got to do something about this because this thing is not... It's useless to me. And so I decided there are two ways. I can either go with the practical way or the manly way. And I decided to go with the manly way. And so I got the sharpest knife I could find, and I started hacking away at this ice to try to chop away the ice in the freezer block. And after about 10 minutes of seeing me achieve absolutely nothing, Kina came over and said, why don't you try this? And she had a bowl of hot water, and we put it underneath the ice. And after a couple of minutes, we heard a crack, and then another crack. And they removed it and put another bowl of hot water in. And before you knew it, the ice just started to crack in pieces and actually fall away. 
and had achieved so much more just taking this warm water and letting it thaw through the ice than anything I could have done with my sharp knife. And I want to say it is God's love that is going to break open freedom for you. When you're praying for each other, it's not about how sharp your spiritual weapons are or how hard you pray. It's about showing God's love and letting him melt those frozen hard hearts. And the funny thing about freedom is we all think we're walking in it. We all think we deserve it. But actually, we all need a greater measure of freedom. And it's not something we have a right to. It's something we fight for. As we saw in Braveheart, we fight for our freedom. And today, we're going to learn how to fight, what weapons we need, and why we have to fight, why we have an enemy. The irony is that King David was more free when he was facing Goliath on the battlefield than he was at home in his palace in relative peace, being bound up by sin. And so when we're out fighting, that's when our freedom will come. And we do it together. We do it as a team. A while ago, last year, we did some deliverance training with one of the congregations. And um, it started off really well. It was a Saturday in August, and worship was going well. It was an amazing time, similar to this. But then, as, I, as people sat down and I started speaking, I saw, the, saw these concerned-looking faces, angry even. And I thought, thank you, Lord. The demons are starting to manifest. You're starting to move in the people. It turns out it was just the rugby on that day, and South Africa was losing pretty badly, and I think the guys were checking the rugby score. But as God reminded me of that story, it feels like often for us, life is like a game of rugby. Sometimes it feels like you're running in freedom, you've got the ball in your hand, you're about to score a try, everyone's cheering for you, everyone is stoked. But more often than not, it feels actually you've just been given a hospital pass, you've been tackled to the ground, or you're at the bottom of the scrum, and everyone is just piling on top of you. And actually, that's not what God's created us to be. He's created us to run into the freedom that he has for us, that we wouldn't be tackled at every stop and every go. And the reality is that even though we don't know who would win a soccer match or a rugby match, we do know that Jesus has the victory. Jesus has won the victory for us, and he's the one that's leading our team. As it says in John 1, verse 8, If the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. And so our starting point is knowing Jesus. It's that one encounter with Jesus that will set us free. And so I want to look at a story in Luke 13, verse 10 to 17. Uh, Jesus is teaching in a synagogue, which he didn't often do, and it was on a Sabbath. And it goes on to say, on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman who was there had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up, and she praised God. And I love that. Immediately she straightened up and she praised God. Now this woman suffered from a disease called ankylosing spondylitis. Try to say that ten times in a row. And it's a real disease where you have inflammation of your spine and your vertebra even starts to fuse together. And the only way to get some sort of relief from it is to actually bend forward and bend forward and bend forward. And before you know it, you've bent forward so much to get relief from this disease, you're actually bent over and you're living your life like this. Only with a view of the ground not even a view of God or experiencing life, how God's intended you to. And for this lady, a representation of how the, the devil had bound her up and brought this infirmity so she couldn't even look up towards God. And I feel for some of us, that is how the enemy has a plan and a strategy to trap us. That's a slow progression of leaning towards the ground, leaning away from God to the point where we're actually bent over and we can no longer see God for who he is. 
And it's one encounter with Jesus that'll set us straight, and then we can worship him again. The irony is, the Pharisees who were there didn't focus on the miracle of this lady being healed. They focused on why are you healing on the Sabbath? <laughs> they said, there's six other days you could have been healed. Come back on one of those days. And that was their focus. And I want to say, as you walk into freedom, there will be resistance. There will be others that will question it. Don't listen to that resistance. Walk into your freedom completely as God has it for you. Verse 16, it goes on to say, as Jesus replied to them, he said, Should not this, water, this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Now that's interesting. He didn't put it down to a medical disease. He said Satan had bound her. We have an enemy, Satan. We need to know that. We need to understand that we're in a war. In order to achieve our freedom, we need to know our enemy. We need to know he has a plan for us. But we need to know that he has been defeated and we can resist him. And so we're going to look at that in more detail now. We live in a time where there's war all around us, spiritually but also physically. You look at Ukraine and Russia, Syria, Afghanistan, there are wars going on. There are crazy things happening in this world, and there's a demonic influence that is coming through those things. And we need to know that. We need to recognize that. God's people are always being attacked. And for us to walk into full freedom, if you're taking notes, these are the points that we need to know for us to walk completely into our freedom. We need to know we're in a war. We need to know that we have an enemy and he has a plan for us. We need to know we have a God who loves us and has an even bigger, bigger plan for us, including setting um, us free. We need to know our identity is in Christ and that's what keeps and secures us. And we need to know how to equip and arm ourselves for war. Now Jesus wasn't unaware of this. If we look at Matthew, he talks about the end times and he says this in Matthew 24, verse 4 to 7. Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, which we're seeing. But see to it you are not alarmed. These things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. I don't know if you guys have been watching the news, but we saw a massive earthquake in Syria and Turkey, which killed thousands of people. These are the times we're living in. But Jesus foresaw it and he knew it. In Mark 13, verse 24, he says, In those days, meaning the end days, there will be an increase in darkness. And I'm not just talking about ESCOM. I'm talking about the spiritual darkness we see. And it's getting worse. I often think to myself, reading the news, which I try not to do anymore, how could people do this? And there is a darkness that is in our land. But Jesus has the victory. John 16, verse 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So if your question is, does living with Jesus and being free mean I'll never experience trouble? No, we will have trouble. But God's continually leading us into freedom. For in Ephesians 6 verse 12, it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So while we see physical wars, there are also information wars. If anyone has a cell phone and has connection to the internet, you are in an information war. If you're on Twitter or Instagram or any of these things, we are being bombarded by social media all the time, telling you everything that's against the Word of God. Even our kids aren't um, free from this. If your kids watch Peppa Pig and it says, Silly Daddy, 
all the time, and the dads emasculated. When I was growing up, there was a show called Friends that was on. And not only did it say, hey, it's okay to sleep with anyone you meet, it celebrated that fact. And there's information war that's coming saying, this is what life should look like, and we need to fight against that with the word of God, with the truth. I have friends in the Ukraine who live 30 kilometers from the border with Russia, and they are being fed a completely different set of information to those in Russia. They believe two completely different stories, but there's only one truth, and that is the power of misinformation. The enemy wants to use misinformation to win a war, and he'll do it with you. He'll say, did God really say that over his promises? And he'll try and disrupt what God's doing in your life. So why do we see all these things? Well, I spoke earlier, we have an enemy, and that enemy is the devil. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 to 10. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, I know we read that, we flippantly go on, yes, the devil, he's bad, we must try and avoid him. But let's take note of what that actually is saying. I don't know, has anyone seen a, a lion in real life before? We were in the Kruger Park, we went there with a couple of friends, and it was early in the morning, we stopped on the side of the road, and there was a whole crowd of lions that were sunning themselves. And my friend Anthony, well, I thought he was my friend, decided, now is the time to start bird watching. And so he leans across me, and the lions are all sleeping, and he winds down my window, and he's like looking at all the birds, and he looks out of his window, and he goes, ooh, and we're like, what is it? Is it a cheetah? Is it a leopard? What are you seeing? And he goes, no, it's a crested barbet. And we're like, ah, oh, okay. And as I sat back from looking out of his window, with mine still down, one of the lions had gotten up and was about two meters away from me. It was about there from the car. My window was down, which is something you don't do in the Kruger Park. And his paw was about the size of my head. And I had one of those, it was before electric windows, so I had one of those wind-up windows, and I knew I'm not going to get this thing up in time before this lion gets to me. And so I was like, Stu, drive. And I was just praying, God, help us. And I was also thinking, Anthony, if I die because of your bird watching, you better have seen the most amazing bird known to man. And luckily there was some space, and as we took off, this lion roared, and I'm telling you, the whole car shook. And it was just the sense of fear of, thank you, Lord, I'm not outside of the car on my own. And that, for me, we would never take the enemy on and be, I'm just going to stand in front of that lion because I can handle it. We would not do that with a lion. We would not do that with a devil. The good news is that even though we have, even though there is that lion who is our enemy, we have a bigger lion. And that's the lion of Judah. And it's interesting here, what would you do if you came face to face with a lion? I can tell you my advice, run, quickly, as fast as you can. But that's not what Peter says. Peter goes on to say this, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, Peter, uh, <clears throat> obviously here, he had referenced the California Guide for Wildlife, which says, when encountering a lion, do not run, stand firm, try to look bigger or stand next to something bigger. In our case, we stand next to Jesus, who's bigger, and we resist the devil, and we can do it. It says the same kinds of suffering, so we will suffer. And it says in verse 10, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so do not be intimidated by the devil. I can tell you, you've had amazing freedom this morning. Tomorrow morning, 
when your boss is shouting at you or your transport to work breaks down or whatever happens, the enemy is trying to intimidate you. Stand firm. Don't be tempted. Don't give in. The other thing the enemy likes to do is he wants to isolate us. He says he's like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. If a sheep's out on its own, it's going to go for that isolated sheep. Don't let yourself become isolated. In World War II in China, in Burma, there were a group of pilots called the Flying Tigers. They were one of the most successful battalions in the war. Together they took down 500 aircraft. The reason why they were so successful? They never flew on their own. They were always in pairs of two or in groups of three, and it made them very hard to take down. We cannot let ourselves be isolated. We must keep pushing into the body. This happened to me last year. As I said, I knew some people in Ukraine. They'd been in contact with me as how I was going. As the stories started to come through, I found my faith being attacked. And I started to monitor and read the situation. And it looked to be getting worse and worse and worse. And I actually found myself starting to lose faith over this. And I was really struggling. And the enemy started just sowing his lies to me. And I got to a point where it's probably about March, where I knew something had to be done, but I didn't know how to do it. And I chatted to a few people, and then there were two conferences that were up on that weekend. There was an Ignite prayer time, and there was a men's meeting. And I remember I really didn't want to go, <laughs> if I'm honest. I just wanted to stay at home and kind of be miserable. And Kina, because she's a loving, faithful wife, really said, you need to go, and you need to be there. And I knew I've got to go. And so I went to, I think it was a Friday night, and I was still feeling God, like, I'm feeling a bit hopeless. Where are you? What are you doing? And as the guys were worshiping, suddenly all of those thoughts stopped. And it just felt like my mind was clear, and I felt this hope rising up inside of me. And as I looked around at all the guys worshiping, I just had a sense of it was their faith that was covering me. And I could almost see all the fiery darts from the enemy being cut off. And suddenly I was protected by the other men's faith around me. And we'll get to that. And it was such an, a crucial moment for me of potentially losing faith to being turned to having trust in God again because I was in the body. And so I want to encourage you, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling out of the body, go to church, go to community, have people pray around you, and their faith is what's going to help carry you. So why do we see these things on earth? Well, we've spoken about our, our enemy, the devil. But why is it difficult for us here? Well, Revelations 1 verse 12, verse 7 to 12 says this, Then war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon or the devil. And the dragon and his angels fought back. The devil was one of God's most beautiful angels. But pride came in, and he decided to resist and fight God. And he eventually got thrown out of heaven as a result of that. And with that, it says he took a third of the angels, which we would now see as demons that come and harass. And then it goes on to the next slide and says, but they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The enemy has been defeated. We must live in that realization that he is defeated and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from de death. Therefore, rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them, which is great for them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. And he's filled with fury. He knows his time is short. And the thing we have to realize, one day we'll be in eternity and we'll be in complete freedom and safety. But right now, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion on earth to attack us. And so we will always have trouble here, but we will always walk in the victory of what God has for us.
The enemy is the accuser, the father of lies, the deceiver. He's the ultimate spin doctor. He can make you believe anything. He began with them deceiving Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say this? And he'll bring lies into you. He'll say, no one loves you. Every time you feel a lie from the enemy, you replace it with the truth. But you've been put in a family who loves you. God isn't a good God. We have a good God who loves us and provides for us. You'll be stuck in this place forever. God will set you free. And so while we have an enemy, we also have a savior in Jesus. Luke 4 verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover your sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. Jesus has a mission, and his mission is to set you free. And that's what we're trusting he's going to continue to do today. Sometimes we think that peace is an example of our freedom, but that's not the case. We saw that with King David when he was stuck at home. An absence of war does not mean we're living in freedom and peace. Um, so now we see we have an enemy that attacks us, but what do we do that opens up doors for the enemy? Well, there's something called sin. It was what um, <clears throat> was broken open by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And as they sinned, it broke open the sin over mankind. And sin is this thing that keeps us from God. Until we receive Jesus as our Savior, it will eternally prevent us from knowing God. But we give our lives to Jesus, we're walking with him, we're walking in freedom, but then we still get attacked. Why is that? Well, that's because the enemy has a plan to trap, to trap us and trip us up in sin. I heard a great example of how that would look. I'm sure a lot of you guys like to play soccer. I've played soccer with many of you. And it is my like, weekly time that I just enjoy that exercise, running around. But then often I get home, and I've played a hard game, hopefully score some goals, and I'm really sweaty, kind of like now, and a bit dirty if there's been mud or whatever. And I expect to come back and my wife to go, ooh, what a man. But more often than not, she goes, ooh, go shower. And so I will, and I go and shower, <clears throat> and I come back, and I'm all clean, but then can't imagine if I take that dirty, sweaty shirt that I'd just worn at soccer, and I'm freshly showered, and I put that shirt on again. And then I decide I'm going to have my spaghetti bolognese, and I smear it all over my top. And then I wear it to work the next day. And then I go for a hike. And I wear this throughout the whole week. And then I come to church on Sunday morning. It's not this shirt. It's just an example. And I can't understand why no one wants to be around me, or hug me, or be close to me. And the reality is that is what sin is like. It's something where we've been washed clean. We have a new identity. Just because I put on a dirty shirt doesn't change who I am, but it changes those around me. And every time we sin, it's like taking this clean body that we have, washed by Jesus' blood, and putting on this dirty shirt again, and thinking it's okay. And at any moment, we can take off that short shirt of sin and be washed again by Jesus. But for some reason, we choose to keep putting it on. And we think it's okay, but then we get used to it. And the problem is that shirt over time becomes toxic. And it slowly starts to kill us. And the word says, sin leads to sin, leads to death. And the more we wear it, the more toxic it becomes. And so sin is one of the areas where the enemy can come in. And it could be any sin. It could be lying. It could be looking at pornography. It could be embezzling money. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. The point is, when that shirt is on us, it's affecting our relationships and it's slowly killing us. We need to right now cut off sin in our lives. Imagine us as clean, fresh creations before Jesus. 
and not go back to that place. And so every time you're tempted by the devil, think of putting that dirty shirt onto your clean body and think, do I really want to do this? Do I want to open that door again? And so God has given us weapons and tools with which to fight. And Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Now, you know, when a, pro- when a pastor or preacher says finally, you know what he means? He means, I'm not even close to being done. It's kind of like when Andrew Selly says, I'm coming into land. And he goes, just kidding. I'm actually just going around for a few more times and then we'll come down. But here, where Paul says finally, he's meaning in summary, this is what you need to do when you're experiencing resistance. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the enemy's schemes. And so we're going to read that in more detail. Ephesians 6, verse 13 to 18. It says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for the saints. And what I love about the suit of armor that God talks about, it's completely free. It's a free gift from God that he's given us to fight against the enemy. And it fits you perfectly. Each one of you has a suit of armor from God. And as long as you're putting it on, it fits you perfectly. And so we're going to look at some of these in more detail, starting with the belt of truth. Now, Roman soldiers back in the day, they used to dress in togas. And when they used to go out and fight, the first piece of equipment they would put on was a belt. For two reasons. Number one, it can be a bit awkward if you're running around and your toga is flapping over the place in battle. And so the belt of truth would surround them and tighten their clothes. But it also said, we're ready for war. And it housed the sword. And so the belt of truth that they put on, or the belt that they put on, basically said we're ready for war. And so for us, we surround ourselves with God's truth. We put it on and we say we're ready to fight and we're ready to take on the enemy. And so we must surround ourselves with truth. Take all those thoughts and lies from the enemy and replace them with God's belt of truth. Next is the breastplate of righteousness. Without righteousness, we are open to the enemy's attacks. And God's saying put on righteousness as a breastplate. Isaiah 59 verse 17 says God himself puts on righteousness as a breastplate. Take off that dirty shirt of sin and put on righteousness, holiness, purity. It'll protect you from the enemy. The next are the feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. So I was very impressed to learn that guys can identify me by my shoes, which is amazing. I'm actually quite encouraged by that. I've always been a trendsetter in that way. And so I want you all right now just to take a moment and look down at the shoes that you're wearing. Just take a good look at your shoes. And I want to ask, not how good do they look or how stylish they are, but are they ready to take you to the nations? Are they ready to take the gospel of peace? We're here today. (laughs) Maybe slowly in some cases. (laughs) But you'll get there. But the important thing about your shoes, it's not about how they look or how stylish they are. It's that they carry you into God's purposes, that you can run into his purposes. And if you look good doing so, even better. But I want to say, are you ready to go? Are you ready to go whenever Adam says, 
or Anton or one of the other guys, I want you to go preach here. I want you to go pray for these people and take the gospel with you. Our feet must be ready to go. Next is the shield of faith. The shield often covered the whole body and it protected from arrows of the enemy. Also, the Roman soldiers would combine their shields together to protect from the enemy's arrows. And I experienced this personally. There's nothing like the shields of faith of your brothers praying and standing with you to cut off the enemy's lies, to cut off those darts. We must constantly be putting um, up the shield of faith. And the helmet of salvation. We already spoke about this earlier. Jesus died on a cross for all of us that we may have eternal freedom with him. And that is a wonderful gift. That helmet we put on our salvation is something that protects our minds from the enemy's lies. Finally, the sword of the Spirit. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he didn't argue with Satan. He said, the word says this. He used the word of God to take down the enemy's lies. And it's the same for us. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. I've heard it said of the Bible, sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. We need to constantly be looking at the word of God, filling ourselves with it, using it as a sword of truth. And so I wanted to look at a final story <clears throat> which came up during worship, but I just wanted us to look at it again. Acts 12, verse 5 to 7. And so basically Herod at the time was going around killing disciples and he killed um, James, brother of John, and now Peter was next, and Peter was shackled in prison. And it says here, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I love this. Even though Peter's in prison, the whole church is praying for him. And then we see a powerful encounter. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial and probably kill him, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the, ent guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He, the angel, struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And just some points to take out of the story. This is Peter, the guy who probably argued with Jesus the most, who gave him a hard time. But here, when he knew his freedom was at stake and God was providing way, he was immediately obedient. He didn't stop and question, well, I can't get up now, I'm chained, or why should I put on my clothes? He just got up and he went. Also like this, the angel struck Peter on the side. Now, we wouldn't think of, um, we think of God as being this loving, gentle God, but sometimes he's going to be, wake up, I need your attention. Something, something happens and God's like, I want to wake you up. And this is what the angel did with Peter, he took notice. And also Peter had a hundred excuses to be the victim. To say, look at me, I'm stuck here. Why should I get up? Where should I go? But it was when he stood up, the chains came off. And so as we now go into time of ministry, I want us to just look at our obedience breaking through into what God has for us. That those chains would come off, as we saw earlier, and that we would walk into complete freedom. And so what are some keys that we can put in place to gain our freedom? First of all, let go of your past. Your past will not define your future. But the way you think about your past will define your future. Let it go. Don't reference it. Those will be like the chains that keep holding you back. Let go of your preferences in every area. Often we think we know better, and sometimes we do. But those preferences of how we think God should do it or others should do it are going to hold us back. Let go of those things. Let go of your fear. If you're struggling with fear, replace it with faith that God has for you.
Repent of habitual sin. Take off that shirt, as I said. Stop doing it. Stop letting the enemy have a a foothold in your life. Be accountable and walk in the light. John 11.10 says, To walk in the light, those who walk in darkness or at night will stumble. Be accountable with your home group leaders, with your leaders. If you're struggling in the area, share your lives with them. If you're thinking of a new job even, or share it with your leaders. Have everything in the light so there's no darkness for the enemy to come into. Forgive. That's a big one. We were praying for a guy this week whose brother had committed suicide. And he felt that his brother had robbed everything of his life from him by doing that. He said, this is so selfish, I can't believe it. And he had to become the man of the house. And it really bound him. And as we were praying for him, he started speaking out the bitterness and the shame and the guilt that he'd experienced because of that action. And he started weeping. And he said he had never felt so free in his life, but he had also never uttered those words ever to anyone else. And he'd been living that for about 15 years. And as he spoke them out, this freedom came on him. Forgive and speak it out. It's one of the main reasons we're bound up. Renounce. If you've been exposed to things, whether it's sin, whether it's the occult, witchcraft, all these things, we need to renounce them. We need to repent of it, and we need to cut it off and say it has no effect on my life anymore. And stop believing the lies, but believe the truth. 1 John 2 verse 14 says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning, and I write to you young men because you're strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And so I just wanted to end with a testimony of when we went to Friedendal, and I got to pray for this guy at the end of the service. And we went there specifically for deliverance and to see, and there was a lot of God just setting people free. But right at the very end, this one young guy came to me and said, I'm really struggling. I feel like I've got a ceiling, and I just can't break through in this. And I said, okay, well, let's pray. I said, I want you to imagine just this blank page and tell me what God does with it, what he writes in it. And so about five, ten minutes, we sat there, and he said, I'm, I'm getting nothing. So I prayed with him as well, and I'm like, I'm getting nothing either. And so he waited, and I was like, God, are you going to speak? What's going on? And then I suddenly felt the Holy Spirit say to me, the page is blank because I've wiped his past clean, because he's completely set free, and now I can do anything with his life. And when I shared it with him, he started just crying and said he had never experienced that level of forgiveness and mercy and freedom from God before, and it felt like he could start his spiritual life now. And I want to say that when we pray for freedom, it's not always about demons being set free. It's not always about things being cut off. It's about God encountering us and giving us a vision and a way forward.